Father, we thank you this morning that you are present with us right here and right now. And Holy Spirit, we know that you're ultimately the teacher, and I just pray that you would teach each one of us as we open your word today. And whatever I say, I pray that what's of you would stick, and the things that are not from you, Lord, I pray they would just fade into the background. And we ask, Lord, that you would encourage, that you would equip, that you would challenge Lord, that you would do your work inside of our heart as we open your word. We know that it's not just words on a page, but it's, it's words of life. And so we pray that you would impart life to us today as we open the word of God. And we thank you. We thank you for all that you are doing in our church. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark, or sorry, Matthew chapter 14 I'm not in a uh, sermon series. We closed that last week, and in a few weeks, I'm going to introduce a new series of talks to you called Questions That Matter, and I'll explain that when we get there, but I feel led of the Lord to walk through a series of talks, and I'm certain, I am certain that you will love it (laughs) because it's the Bible. That's where I'm getting all my information. I'm a plagiarist. (laughs) It's just one source. I just want you to know. Here's what it says on the introduction on your teaching notes. Um, Oh, I did not tell you the name of my message, the title. It's called Walking Through the Storms. I want to talk to you today about um, navigating through difficulty, trials, tribulations, and the issues that we face. I I want to talk to you about that today out of Matthew 14. And here's what the introduction says. Difficulty and struggle are an inevitable part of our life regardless of who we are, or where we are from. While the storms of life may rage on around us, we can take great comfort knowing that Jesus is with us in it all and through it all to the very end. Amen. In fact, Jesus even said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. The question is not, will we face difficulty, but rather, how should we be thinking and responding when the difficulties of life come knocking on our door? One of the main reasons that people grow distant or walk away from their relationship with God is directly connected to our misunderstandings of the difficulties in our life. Haven't you found this to be true? And what I mean by this, ladies and gentlemen, is that when you and I face a storm that is inevitable in our life, a difficulty, a loss, it could be anything that you walk through. What can often happen, instead of drawing near to God, we draw away or we run from God. And it's in those moments where the Lord beckons us to come even more closer than we were before so that we can know him, walk with him, hear his heart, and he can walk us all the way through it. But I've just found the, the why question can cause a disillusionment. Why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? And I want to bring clarity to that today because it's very important. We're all going to face storms of many kinds. And this is something that I deal with all the time. It's something that you deal with all the time. People will walk away from the Lord in the midst of a trial. And, uh, and I want to hopefully equip us, not only for us to not walk away from the Lord and draw near, but for us to also encourage other people when they're facing great difficulties as well. Now, the reason that people will walk away from the Lord, this primarily comes from the idea that if you follow Jesus, you are somehow immune to the reality of life on a broken planet because God is supposed to protect you from all pain, difficulty, or tragedy. Now, that's just not the case, is it? It's not that 
he satisfies everything going on around us and we no longer have any pain, turmoil, difficulty, or face any problems, it's that what he does on the inside of us now is more powerful than anything that can happen on the outside. That's what Jesus does. Jesus promises, I will be with you no matter what happens to you. That's what Jesus does. This is simply not the case. The fact is that we will all go through many storms in this life. Right now, we are either in a storm, just coming out of one, or about to go into another one. Now, I know that's not encouraging. (laughs) It's just true. Is there a way to see Jesus in the midst of our storms? I believe there is. Is there a way to reflect Jesus in the midst of our storms? Absolutely. However, we will truly need God's comfort and wisdom as we navigate the stormy waters of our lives And as we look at our passage today, I believe God will impart to us everything we need to sustain us in it all and through it all. And I chose this passage, it's what was on my heart, to really speak to you and to speak to us about how it is that Jesus sees us through, all the way through the difficulties that we face. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, I'm going to read it, will be on the screen. Here's what it says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, that's 3 to 6 a.m. approximately, and he was walking on the sea. I don't know if you've ever thought about this one, but... There's a storm happening, and Jesus just happens to be walking on the water in the middle of the storm. I would love to have seen that. I would love to have seen that. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. When Jesus and Peter got into the boat, the storm ceased. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. See, they saw something that just couldn't happen without supernatural power, and they all worshipped him. I love these moments where the disciples are just walking along with Jesus, you know, maybe a year's gone by, two years, and this is just Jesus, and sure, he he does a miracle once in a while, and every now and again, he'll cast a demon out, and that's kind of a wow moment. But there are other moments like this where an entire storm will cease, and they'll go, you really are God's son. You know, they kind of have a wake-up call of, about the one that's in their boat. Maybe, maybe it is that although they walked with the physical Jesus, they got a little too familiar with the Jesus that was in their boat. And these moments reminded them that he's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot greater and a whole lot more powerful than they were thinking that he was. Maybe sometimes storms in our life as God addresses our hearts and as he walks with us, do the very same thing for us. The context of Matthew chapter 14 is is really important because the chapter actually opens up with Jesus receiving the news that his cousin John the Baptist had just been murdered. He was martyred because he, he he spoke of righteousness and as a result of him saying the right thing to the wrong person, 
he ends up having his life taken. Jesus hears the news, and the Bible says that he withdrew to a secluded place. And I think we don't always think about the human side of Jesus. Certainly, he was God's son, and he relinquished his glory in heaven. He came, and he took on you know, he took on humanity. He lived as a man, spirit-filled. We know he was more than that. He was the son of God. He was God the son. And we, of course, believe that. We have a Trinitarian theology, a Trinitarian view. But I think sometimes we just sort of don't realize that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses, our temptations, and our struggles because he actually endured things as well as a man. And this is what Jesus was going through in this moment. He hears that his cousin John the Baptist was just murdered, and he probably was troubled in his soul. At least that's my view. I think he was feeling what we often feel when we go through loss or difficulty. And so he withdrew to a secluded place with his disciples. But that isn't the end of the story because the crowds hear that Jesus is gone, and they follow him. They leave their cities behind. They leave everything behind, and the Bible records that They go out to this desolate place, and it's there that Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He's trying to get away from the crowds because of probably how his soul is feeling, and he's drawing the disciples into this, you know, this time of really rest and reflection, but the crowds come nonetheless, and Jesus looks at the crowds, and instead of going, oh, guys, why are you following me everywhere, like maybe I might do, the Bible says he has compassion on the crowds as they come, and the people that came, they remember, they forgot everything. They forgot food. They didn't bring their lunch sack or any of that. And so they're in this desolate place and nobody has food. Everybody's obviously hungry. They didn't think about lodging. And so the disciples have this idea, let's just send the, let's send the crowds away so that they can, they can go get lodging and food. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. And they're like, well, all we got is five loaves and two fish. And Jesus basically is always saying, well, that's enough. You just, he doesn't need a lot. He just needs all you got. Okay, that rhyme. You're welcome. (laughs) Bring it to me. They bring him the five loaves and the two fish. He gives thanks to the Father. He breaks it, and he has the disciples distribute it. And there he performs a miracle of provision. We all know where he takes a little and he feeds the thousands. It's a powerful story. I love that story where Jesus just takes the little bit that we have, and he breaks it, and he feeds the multitude. I think that's prophetic on many levels, but, but the miracle of provision was a very powerful story. And that happens right before this story that we read. In this story in Mark 14, 22 that we just read together, there's a parallel account in the book of Mark and the book of John. And in John's gospel, chapter 6, verse 14, it says that the people saw the miracle of the loaves and the fish and they want to make him king. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus was already king. He's already king. And man wants to make sure that they put him, vote him into that position. And so Jesus in that moment sends the crowds away and he makes the disciples He commands the disciples to get into the boat, the Sea of Galilee, and he sends them out, and then he draws away to be with the Father in a time of prayer. And it's, this is where we read about this story. It's an interesting story. I don't know if you've thought through this story, but I've read this story from every angle, especially this week. I've just been thinking a lot about it. It is my conviction. It's my opinion after reading all the different accounts, thinking about it from every angle, that Jesus knew there was going to be a storm. And he sent his disciples into the storm, that this was going to be a lesson of faith. I mean, he just knew. And and, and in fact, when you see Jesus walking by the boat, it says in John's gospel, the version of this story, that he intended to walk by them to the other side. That's just a little funny detail. Like, really? Really? 
He just is going to walk by them. This was a story of faith, and he was going to teach them something as they went through a physical storm about faith. And I want to use it for that purpose to help us walk through some things to understand the difficulties that we face that might be quite a bit different than this story, the, the picture that this story is painting, but I think we can draw principles nonetheless. And the first thing I want to say to you this morning is that we will all encounter storms. And when I say storms, I'm talking about all the difficulties, trials, tragedies that we face. It's unfortunate to me that we can often hear sermons preached or theology that spread, maybe sometimes even on Christian television, there's almost this idea that if you give your life to Jesus, that all of your external problems will go away, that everything will be great, you'll be, all of your relationships will be secure, your wallets will be full, your purses will be full. I mean, you're just never going to have a human problem again. And that's just not the truth at all. What really is true is that Jesus will walk with us in the midst of whatever it is that we face. And certainly God interacts and intervenes in the midst of our life on every level. He cares about the details of our life. He knows the hairs on our head. He, he knows every name in this room, every person on the planet. God cares about us. That's not what I want to, I don't, wanna, don't want you to misunderstand me. But sometimes there's this idea that we're not going to face any problems. And I think what happens in the midst of that kind of thinking or theology is that when we face a problem, it's always like, well, what's wrong? Well, what am I doing wrong? Well, you're, let me tell you, you, you and I, we're going to go through storms. But can I tell you this? The source of the storm that we're in might be different than we think it is. And it's important that we understand the source of the storm that we're facing because if we don't know what is happening or maybe where it's coming from, there might be a level of mystery behind it. But there are times where we can absolutely know the source of the storm. But we need to know that there are many different sources. And this is something that I want to um, walk with you in in just a moment, but look at some of these passages that talk about difficulty that we're going to face. I just read to you John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble. Why? Because it's a broken planet. It's a broken planet. Why? Because in Genesis chapter three, we were told not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." And we did. And as we did that, the Bible calls it the fall, that we felt we were enslaved to sin at that moment. The reason that God said, don't eat from this, I want to give you a choice, don't eat from this, is because he knew the destruction that would enter into the world as a result of that. And we all are touched by that one decision that has equaled many, many decisions ever since. It has caused an incredible amount of pain. It has caused an incredible amount of sin to just spread throughout the world. Adam and Eve could not have known the implications of that decision. But the reason that we call it the fall theologically is that if you and I were in their place, we would have done it as well. Lest you and I be mad at Adam and Eve, the idea of the fall of humanity is that if it was you or I, we would have done the same thing. But that fall has caused a lot of difficulty. And Jesus came not just to take away our difficulty in this life. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. There is more than what your eyes see. There is more than what your ears hear. And there is more coming. He paid for something that is far more than just this temporary dwelling that we have. He paid for our eternity. Psalm 46.1, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
a very present help in trouble. No matter what we're facing or what we're going through, he is very present in the midst of those difficulties that we are facing. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, consider it all joy. Everybody smile. Consider it all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials or trials of many kinds, how do you consider it joy when you're up against something that seems to be like a mountain that there's no way you can get over or across? How can you have joy? The only reason that we can have joy is because we're walking with Christ. We know that there is something on the other side and that he will help us get to the other side. When we know he'll help us get there and he'll walk with us all the way there, we can have joy. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Why would he go through all that pain? Why would he go through all that difficulty as an innocent man? He did it because he saw us. He saw us sitting right here worshiping him this morning. He saw us receiving communion. He, we were in his heart when he went to the cross. When we face our difficulties and we go through those things, Jesus will help us get to the other side. And the reality is there is something on the other side. And that gives us hope, it gives us anchor, and no matter what storm we're facing, this is so important, consider it all joy. Storms are a part of our life. We're gonna have difficulties, temptations, trials, tragedies, losses. Every one of us in this room is gonna face these things, and many of us are already facing them even right now. Verse 22, Jesus made the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee where he would meet them later. Did you hear that? He, he, would, he made them get into the boat and go into a storm. That should mess with you a little bit. That should mess with you a little bit. He sent them into a storm. I'm convinced that he knew it would be a storm. But what are the sources of our storms? I have them listed there on your notes. One of the sources is some storms come from evil, ignorant, or selfish choices of others. Sometimes we're facing a difficulty because somebody else has sinned against us. And we can't just wash that away or avoid it. And we've spent several weeks talking about our response as Christ followers to have a Christ-like response, to be, have an unoffendable heart in an offensive world. The world is going to be offensive. We might even offend people, but people will certainly offend us. How is it that we can have an unoffendable heart in the midst of an offensive world? I want to tell you this morning, it's possible. It's possible through Christ that we can have that kind of strength, that we can live that kind of life, that we can have that kind of resolve, even when it's hard, even when it's hard. I mean, we're not going to be happy, clappy all the time or whatever, but we can actually have the substance of Christ even when it's most difficult. This is the kind of God that we serve. He'll give us what we need. But what is the prescription from the Bible when we're facing the storm that someone else has caused to come upon us, when somebody else has sinned against us. Well, the Bible says to forgive, to forgive them. It says to pray for them. Those are the things that we have to employ. If, if we're not doing that, if we're not going to follow the prescription of Scripture, then we're going to find ourselves in, in an even greater difficulty because our, our mentality, our mindset will be in the wrong place at that time. And it's very important that we not only read the Bible, study it, memorize it, but that we live it that we respond to it because the Bible works. The Bible works. God's not just interested in his people becoming theologians and theoreticians. He wants us to be practitioners. He wants us to know that these are words of life and they work when we put them into practice. The second storm that we could talk about, some storms come from our own sinful, unwise, ungodly choices. Some of the storms that we're facing are the consequences of our own sin. 
Now, we don't always like to talk about sin. Amen. But it's important for this reason, that the Father doesn't want us to walk in sin and sinful choices because he knows the destruction that it can have in our life. Now, we thank God that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank God for that, but sometimes as he cleanses us on the inside so that we don't do those things again, it doesn't mean that he takes our consequences away. Some of us are living with very real consequences of the sins that we have committed, and they become a part of our testimony to the glory of God. There are things that I have done in my life that I can't just wash over and act like they never happened. In fact, they've become a part of my testimony. And there are times where I think about those things and I realize the pain that they've caused other people. I know that I'm forgiven by Jesus, and I'm thankful for that. But there are some things that don't just easily, you can't just wink at them. Do you know, anybody been through some stuff like this? Okay, anybody breathing in the room right now? Okay, all right. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like, and I just think it's silly every now and again, it, 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 we, we kind of want to act like it's not because of our sin. There, there are times where our storms are right in front of our face, but we're blaming the devil. You know, it's like, oh, there's the devil turning my power off. I'm like, no, that's Jim. His name's on his shirt. He's from the power company. And the reason he's turning your power off is because you didn't pay your bill. <laughs> it's not the devil. And, you, and, and, and it, there's even more foolishness. Like, if you just praise God today, all your problems will go away. No, they won't. You can dance. Your problem's not going to go away if you're your problem. you still got to repent. If we've done something wrong, then we can't act out in pride and act like, well, it's just going to go away because God's good. God's good and his kindness leads us to repentance so that we can bow our knee and humble ourselves to him and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. I've messed up. Would you help me not to continue down this path? And God will when we come to him like that. The prescription of scripture is to repent if we're the ones that have caused the storm. Some storms come from the enemy. Some storms do come from demonic forces. Now, I realize that uh, in our world, Hollywood has painted this picture of demons with like big horns, and, and, and even this idea of Halloween has scared so many Christians. I, I, I don't give the devil anything. That's why I'm like, we are doing Harvest Festival. <laughs> devil gets no days. But there's like this idea that like, that's what demons are like. They're just like this nasty, like horned and all this kind the Bible calls Satan, he's like an angel of light. There's a sophistication there. Yes, there's, there's, there's that evil and the darkness behind that. But there's a, demonic spirits know how to tempt us. Okay? And they do have power to transmit thoughts. Not to control or coerce. They, they, they have no power like that. But there is the ability to do, to do that. That's how you read about Judas. That's how that happened, right? You could read about David. It says that Satan incited David to take a census. There was a level of temptation. There was a transmission of thought. Now, I don't know how that works, but I do know that it happens. That some temptations come from the flesh, but some temptations come from the enemy. The enemy sometimes has a level of power to cause a storm. What do we do from scripture? What does it tell us that we do when we can identify that it's the enemy? We rebuke the enemy. We take authority over the enemy. We stand strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Having done all, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, stand. 
Sometimes you've done, you've rebuked, you've taken authority, you've done everything you can do, but you stand. You stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And the Bible also says in James, it says to resist the enemy and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the enemy. It's kind of like if the enemy was trying to put you into handcuffs. You know, you resist. That's the only time, ladies and gentlemen, that we resist. (laughs) Resist. You're not locking me up in shackles. That's not happening. We resist the enemy, and he will flee. You know, and I tell people, they go, well, how do I know if it's the enemy? I, I, I'll be honest with you. This is just how I work, uh, take it or leave it. But when I'm not sure, I just walk around my house. I just take authority over every demon spirit in the name of Jesus. I don't wait for, like, full confirmation. I just go for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if this problem, the causation of my issue is from a demon spirit, they're going to know that I know. And I don't need to know. I'm just going to walk around anyway. So if you see me walking around the property and like that, you know what's happening. What's Pastor Ben doing? I'm not mad at my children. I do that inside my house. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Just because I'm standing up here looking down at you doesn't mean that I'm not like you. (laughs) The safest place is always in the will of God, but the will of God is not without the storms. Amen? Amen. Second thing I want to tell you this morning is we will face our fears in the storms. When the storms of life come, we're going to face our enemy called fear. In verse 22, Jesus sent them across in the sea in the evening. And the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles across. And it's interesting because in John's gospel, which is a parallel story, it states that the disciples had rowed out three to four miles, about halfway through. Now think about that. Seven miles, the disciples had rowed about halfway through the Sea of Galilee, and they started in the evening, and it says that it's about three to six in the morning. Now it should take about two hours to get from one side to the next, but this is how strong the adverse winds were. They're rowing, 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 getting knocked back. They're rowing, 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 getting knocked back. So they were very, very afraid of this storm. You've got some expert fishermen that are in the boat, and they too are also scared of what might happen to them. Verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were also terrified. They're terrified from the storm, and they're terrified from Jesus walking on the water. And it says, they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, I'm not sure of their theological stance on ghosts, but I only believe in the Holy Ghost. And then there, there are demon spirits, so this could have been what they're thinking in their, in their mind. But there was this idea in their head that there's a ghost is out there. Fear is a very real thing, whether it's the storm or what we perceive as a result of going through the storm. The Bible talks about fear all over the place. It says in Proverbs 29, 25, that the fear of man is a trap. The fear of man is a trap. It will trap us. Matthew 6, 34 speaks of the fear of tomorrow or worrying about the future. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself, right? The only one we're to fear is to fear God. He's the one that has power over today and tomorrow. The fear of tomorrow or the fear of the future, the unknown, will actually consume us. It will, it will eat, eat at us. And there's another fear, I think, that we see in our lives. It's, it's Matthew, or Mark 4.40. It 
speaks of the disciples' fear of the storm. There's a couple different storms that they were in, physical storms, but this talks about the fear of death. And I've sat with many people who are, in fact, afraid of dying. And this is a very real thing that will paralyze us, but fear is an enemy in our life. It's a strong voice that we need to confront. And the storms, the difficulties in our life give us an opportunity to look them in the face and confront those fears and draw near to God and receive in that moment what he has for us. They provide an opportunity that sometimes we often don't realize. Verse 27, Jesus tells the fearful disciples, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Isn't that a word for maybe some of us today? Take courage. Do not be afraid. It's not just a command, don't be afraid. It's don't be afraid because it implies who is with them. I'm with you. You do not have to be afraid. I can remember um, you probably, if you've had kids, you've gone through this before, but I've had almost all of my kids go through a little bit of a, a bout with the fear of darkness, the actual physical, you, you tuck your kids in, I don't know about you, but we have this routine. It's not there anymore because our youngest is, is 11, so it's a lot different now. But when they were younger, we used to tuck them in, and, and, and I'm, I'm aggressive, just, just, just tuck them. <laughs> you know. And I've never done that. I've thought about it, though. And If you have younger children, you just got a vision for your life there. It was really... At Lowe's, you can go get a stapler today or, or Home Depot or whatever, you know, just. But we did tuck them in and, and, and then you turn off the light. You can even have a nightlight and Bridget and I would be downstairs with some friends. We would always have people over uh, later, later at night after we tucked the kids in. And so one of my unnamed children would always run down and they would pull on my shirt. And that was always an indication of like, come upstairs with me, dad. And of course, I wasn't annoyed at all because I'm a perfect father. I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. It's who I am. Uh, just want to be like my dad, you know, just want to be like my dad. So I was never annoyed at all. I was always like, of course. I just sort of floated upstairs with him. Um, but he would just pull on, he or she would pull on my shirt. Or sometimes it was the secret. It was like, get up real close. Like, I could never hear what any of them were saying either. It's like, like, what does this mean? It just means come with me. That's what it does. And it was amazing because when I go, okay, I'm coming, my unnamed child would just jump off the couch and just run upstairs with just such courage because dad's with me. Dad's with me. Whatever monster's up there is going to die. So I'd get up there and I'd say, what are you, what are you scared of? You know, like, well, what's scared of? Oh, I think there's a, there's a monster in the closet. So I'd go into the closet. I'd open the door and I'd go, no, no monster in here. There's a bad guy underneath the bed. I'd get down just like we do and look on. No, there's no, no bad guy here. No monster, no bad guy, just Jesus. So I teach all my kids when they feel fear to call on Jesus. And can I just tell you, you don't have to be a kid to hear what I'm saying this morning. We call on Jesus. Whether you're young, whether you're old, we should never forget that we call on the name of Jesus. And I found that my kids would learn to call on Jesus and name his name when they feel those things, even in the night. It was an opportunity in the midst of the fear that they were facing to tell them that there is a name that is above every name. And there is a presence that's more powerful than the fear that you feel. And sometimes our storms or our fears or our difficulties are an opportunity to remind us that there is a presence more powerful. There is a name that's more powerful than what we're facing. The third thing I want to say to you this morning is we will grow in our faith in the storms. 
Every storm in our life will draw out a greater faith towards God and his word, won't it? Verse 28, Peter says to Jesus, if it is you, command me to come. And Jesus says, come. I want to remind you this morning about this story that that was Peter's proposition. Peter was the one that says, if it's you, Lord, and you're out there, why can't I? Tell me to come. If you tell me to come, then I'll come. I, I don't even think I would think that. That's not even a thought that would enter my mind. Jesus, if you're walking on the water, tell me to come, and I'm pretty sure I'll be able to. That just would not enter my mind. But it did Peter's. Lord, bid me to come if it's you. And Jesus says, come. And he hears the words of Jesus, and he steps beyond his fear, and he starts to walk on the water. This really happened. Peter really walked on the water. Jesus really walked on the water. I have not walked on water. I've tried. I've done it in the bathtub, you know, and it didn't work. I just start small. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. It has not worked for me. But at this point, we can see that Peter is not walking on the water. He is walking on the word of the one that bid him to come. That's what we see in this story is that it's not about the water. It's not even about the miracle. It's about the word of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus saying to Peter in the midst of this fearful moment, this difficulty that they're facing? They think they're going to die. Remember that. They believe that they're going to die. And they're afraid because they see this presence out on the water. And Peter just has the audacity to say, if it's you, tell me to come. And he doesn't walk on the water. He walks on the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would make a man think or a woman think that they could step out of a boat and walk on water? I'll tell you what it is. It's a word from God. A word from God will make you think a lot of things. What would make Noah think that he could build a boat and save his family? What would make Abraham think that he could leave everything that he knows and God would take care of him? What would make, what would make Moses think that he could stand before Pharaoh, who's like the leader of the most occult nation that has ever existed in that time? What would make him think that they could, what would make any of them think that they could do those things? A word from God. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what they need. We need a word from God in the midst of the things that we're facing. What does the word of God say? And what is the word from God for us in the midst of this? You need a word and I need a word from the Lord. That's why seeking God in the midst of what we're facing is so vital. Seek him and keep on seeking. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. We need to keep going to Jesus no matter what it is that we are facing. You know, here's what I believe. I do not believe that there are extraordinary people. I I know we like to sort of memorialize people. We like to put folks on a pedestal. We like to think he's so awesome and she's so amazing. And what we're trying to do is we're we're building this massive difference between us and them. It's it's the haves and the have-nots. We all like to do that. That's That's what happens. We remember history this way, that there's like these perfect people, but when you really look at their life, they're just they're just as messed up sometimes as we are. But you know what I think? There are not extraordinary people. There are ordinary people who believe the word of an extraordinary God. Those people exist, and those people exist in this room. And storms and difficulties are the moments in our life that draw out of us what we are made of and what decisions that we are going to make because these are choices that we're going to make. Are we going to believe God or are we not going to believe God? What is the Lord saying to you in your difficulty? What has the Lord said to you when you faced tragedy or turmoil 
or storms of many kinds. What has he said to you? What did you, what was the anchor for you in the midst of that storm? What does the word of God say to us? Gives us that anchor. We need to believe what God says and not just how we feel because our feelings will betray us. Now, I'm not minimizing the pain that we walk through in, in loss especially. I understand how painful that can be. And there is a, a why. Why is this happening? I, I want to tell you this, and I mean this sincerely. You, you and I are not always going to get the answer to the question why. We're not always going to get the answer to the question why. Why is this happening? Why did this happen? Why didn't it happen differently? The fact is, is I'm not going to be arrogant enough to tell you that I know why. I don't know why. And sometimes the, the best theological answer still doesn't satisfy the feeling, does it? Oh, oh I mean, we really do know that that we live on a broken planet, but that doesn't always help us in the midst of the things that we face. But we need to know what the Lord says. I don't know about the why question, but I do know that the question that you ask, if it were to go like this, what must I do now? That question the Lord will answer. Why did this happen? You may not get the answer you're looking for, but the the question, what must I do now? The Lord does want to give us the next step, and he will. Sometimes he won't give it, to us because maybe we can't hear it, but when we gather around, this is why church is so important. This is why having family is so important. In fact, when I went to be a pastor, the, the man that was the pastor of the church that I was a part of, he was talking to me about how often people will just stop going to church. And uh, by the way, I'm not saying this to get you to do anything. Um, I'm pretty free from that for the most part, so you're welcome. But uh, I do believe what I'm saying here. And so he, he would say to me, and I was just a younger pastor at the time, just starting out, and he said, you know, there's, there's this trend where people will go, you know, go through seasons where whatever's more important, you know, it could be anything. It could be sports. It could be whatever. I don't know. And, and just church isn't that valuable. It's not that important. Um, it's a lesser priority than whatever it is that we enjoy or, or, or whatever. But he said, Ben, you know something I've learned is that when people go through difficulty, all of a sudden they'll show up. And people do need a pastor. Isn't that true for our life? People do need it. You, I need a pastor too. I'm not just talking to you as in you people. Ben Dixon needs a pastor as well. We all need people to walk with us. And we need a family also. And a lot of times we get into a disillusioned place because we end up following our own pathway. And then when something really hard happens, we'll kind of come back. But it's in those moments, it's like what Jesus says to build your life on the rock in Matthew chapter 7. And building our life on the rock means that we hear his word and we obey it. But you know what I've learned? It's really difficult to build your life on the rock in the middle of a storm. Right? It says when the storms came, when the winds blew and when the floods rose, like whatever was built either faded away because it was built on sand or it remained because it was built on the rock. The storms reveal where, we're, where we are, but they're re- it's really hard to build properly, like a strong Life. He's talking about a house, but it's really hard to build a strong house in the midst of difficulty. So what I would say to all of us, no matter where we're at today, that we have to remember we've got to build right here and right now. We've got to build the strongest life, the strongest house, because storms are going to come. And when they come, it will reveal where we are. And the pastor told me, he said, I find that when people come back to church in the midst of a storm, he said, it's almost impossible at times to help them to see God in the midst of it because they're just, the sand has eroded the foundation and the, and the house. I'm not saying it's imp- entirely impossible, but I, what he said stuck with me. 
what he said stuck with me. You know, uh, just because we believe God's word in our storm does not mean the wind dies down. Peter was walking on the water. Verse 30 says, seeing the wind, he became afraid. He's, this man's walking on the water. And then he see, and a gust of wind comes, and it says that he became afraid, and he began to sink. And Jesus says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I don't think he's, uh, sometimes we hear Jesus' voice wrongly. Why did you doubt? That's not what he's saying. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were walking on the water. I can't imagine how I would have said it if I was Jesus, which I'm certainly not. Come on, man. You were just walking on the water. I know, I know, I know. Jesus wasn't questioning the quality or the quantity of Peter's faith. He was questioning the duration. Sometimes we have this question, do I have enough faith or is my faith good enough? That's the wrong question in this particular moment. It's not about having, like, how could you qualify or quantify the faith that you have? I mean, I mean on the outside, it's very difficult for us to do that. But you know what kind of faith that Jesus is looking for in us and he's giving to us is enduring faith. It's the duration of faith to keep believing him even though the winds have not died down. I mean, some of you have gone through chronic pain and the pain has just not gone away. Some of you have faced deep loss and that person is still gone, and you're facing that difficulty. And the Lord, what he asks of you is to trust him as you walk with him continually through how you feel and what you face. The Lord is enough. The Lord is enough, and he will give us what we need, and he asks us to continue to trust him, to continue to believe him. He's not in any way saying you don't have enough faith and your faith is not good enough. He is calling you to continue to believe him, continue to trust him, continue to come to him. That's what he's calling out in us. Why did you doubt? He wasn't, Peter had more faith than anybody in the boat. Peter's faith was better than everybody in the boat. He wasn't questioning like, I, I, I always thought about this story like, man, he gives Peter a hard time. Why didn't you give a hard time to the other people? All the guys that were in the boat going like, yeah, Peter, you doubted. <laughs> I don't even know what that campfire conversation would have been like, but yeah, Peter, you know, that, hopefully they never said any of that. It was the endurance of faith. You know, keep believing. In order to grow in our faith, we need to continue to focus on Jesus and his word and not give up. He will help us to not give up. And the last thing I want to share with you from this story is Jesus will help us walk through the storms. Jesus will help us walk through the storms. In verse 30, Peter cries out to Jesus, save me. And immediately Jesus stretches out his hand. And I want to remind you as we kind of come to a close in this message is that when we call on Jesus, Jesus does respond. When we call on the name of the Lord, we're not just singing his name is above every name and then we walk away and act like that's not true. We call on Jesus. And I've learned that in storms, short prayers work just fine. Short prayers work just fine. Save me. <laughs> Help me. If that's all you got, that's good. <laughs> what I would say to you is let it come out of your mouth though. Amen. Let it come out of your mouth. Let, let every demon in hell hear you say, Jesus, save me. Yeah. That's what I think. I think that we need to verbalize it. It doesn't have to. Sometimes we don't pray out loud because we're worried about how it sounds. Don't worry about how it sounds, okay? We're not trying to be professional prayers. Nobody impresses God ever. It's like, God's like, well, I've made the mountains. Yeah. 
There's really nothing we can say that impresses him. Just look at the sky when you walk out of the church building today. He's not, he's not looking for us to impress him. He's looking for us to talk to him. He's looking for us to ask him. He's looking for us to come to him. He's looking for us to be with him. This is what he wants. This is what he desires. This is what Jesus died for. He died to be with us, to be reconciled to us, to have fellowship with us, to have intimacy with us, to be a family. He wants us to be with him. This is what it's all about, is to be family again. And he made a way when we could not make a way. When the kids say that there's a monster in the closet, we teach them to call on Jesus. When, the, when your spouse says that there's a mountain in the marriage, we call on Jesus. When the doctor says there's a discrepancy in the diagnosis, we call on Jesus. Amen? When there's something strange in the neighborhood. something strange and it don't look good. Who are you going to call? <laughs> going to call on Jesus. I heard a story one time, and Jonathan's here. You can come and close. Help me here. Um, I have to. There you are, sir. I'm getting ready to close, but you never know how many doors I have in this sermon. <laughs> Just closing door number one. <laughs> All right, never mind. Bad joke. I heard a pastor tell a funny story one time. He, uh, it was actually him and his wife went on a, a cruise ship, and, uh, and I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise before. We actually went, went on one, and um, it, I mean, it wasn't for me. It might be for you. It might be your thing, but we went on a, a cruise ship, and, and they were on this cruise ship, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of storms in Florida, if you don't know that. There's just storms, storm warnings. It's a very normal way of life for them, and so the captain makes this announcement uh, over the speaker that everybody who's on the cruise ship needs to go back into their room because they're literally about to go through a storm. So he, he tells everybody, you know, all the decks have to be cleared. All those that are on the ship need to go back to their rooms, kind of hunker down because they're going to go through this storm and it's going to be quite rocky. And the pastor said, my wife was very unsettled when she heard this. She just thought to herself, well, why in the world are we going through the storm? Why don't we just anchor here and like wait for the storm to pass by because it's not going to hit us unless we go and keep going through it. And so her, her husband, the pastor, said, I don't, I don't know. And so she, of course, was a wonderfully strong woman. Amen. So she called, she called the, uh, the captain's assistant, actually, on the phone. She said, hey, why are we going through this storm? I, I don't understand this. She was fearful. She was afraid that what might happen and she asked the assistant, why are we going through this to begin with? And the captain's assistant said, well, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> let me go ahead and ask the captain, and I'll, I'll get back to you. So about 10 minutes later, the captain's assistant called her back and said, ma'am, thank you for your question. The captain wanted to definitely respond to you, and he wanted to tell you two things. First, he respectfully and kindly wanted to remind you that he's the captain of the ship, and you're not. True story. And he also wanted you to know that this ship 
was built with this storm in mind. And that everybody will be fine as long as they do as the captain has directed. And I remember thinking about that story, that true story. And she was obviously satisfied. But I started to think about Jesus, our Savior, who died on a cross, rose again, was triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. We're talking about the one who's conquered everything. He has done all of that with every one of our storms in mind. And the reality is for each one of us, no matter what we're facing or what we will face, Jesus will help us walk through every storm and get to the other side. And I say to you this morning, he will help us get to the other side. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep calling out on his name. Keep focusing on him. And this is who it is that we're following. He does not leave us, he will not forsake us, and he does not let us go in the midst of the storm. He never will. And this is a word that we need to hear. And I might be talking to somebody right now, and you might think, well, Ben, I've just sinned too much. And I know, I've noticed how guilt can cause us to not hear the words of Jesus in our life at times. And we just feel so bad that, Ben, I'm the reason that I'm in this storm right now, and I deserve what I'm facing. You know what? We all deserve hell. <laughs> we all deserve all of this. And Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace and he gives us mercy as we come to him. It's not about getting what we deserve. He comes and gives us what we don't deserve. He loves on us. He set his affection on us. That's what the cross of Christ and why we celebrated communion is what it's all about. It's what it's all about, that he is good and he's good to the end. And he'll never turn away from us no matter what we're facing. And the reason that I say this this morning is because we don't want to turn away from him. Jesus never turns away from us, but sometimes we have the tendency to turn away from him. If you read the Bible carefully and closely, you find that that is the peril of God's people. They continue to walk away and fall away from this loving God. And this is why we share this kind of a message this morning is to say, let's not do that. We may not get the why question answered, but we know that he'll walk with us in it all, through it all, for his glorious purposes, because it's all about him. I had a prophetic word um, as we prayed over our services this weekend, and I just want to share it with you. I, some of us need to be prayed for in what we're going through right now, and be reminded that God's with you, but this, there's a second person that I want to mention I saw a picture because I knew I was going to preach this passage of a parent who was standing on the shore and they were looking out a couple miles and they were seeing their son or their daughter that was in a boat and there was a storm happening and the, the waters were shaking the boat and the parent was standing there and I could feel what they felt. They, they felt helpless. There's nothing that I can do to save my child, maybe an adult child, from going through what they're going through. It's that part of us as a parent, like, I want to help them. I want to do something for them. You know what you're feeling right there? You're feeling what God feels. That's why he sent Jesus. And I saw this picture, like, as parents, some of us in this room, we want to help our kids. We want to get them out of the storm. But here's what I believe the prophetic word is. The promise of the Lord is that as we call upon him, do not just feel helpless in that moment. Feel like there is help on the way. When we pray, God hears our prayers and he answers us. And I want to remind you that even though our culture 
acts like prayer is a passive and inactive activity. That is a lie. When we talk to the one who has power over every storm, I am saying to you, I am saying to us as a church, that prayer is not passive or inactive. Prayer is powerful because of who we are talking to. And don't allow this culture or this narrative out there that says, oh, pray, but do something about it. There are times where we feel helpless because God is the only one that can do something about what we see. And if you're a parent in this room, I want to prophesy over you right now. God is the God of the storm. He has power over every storm over our children, and he is drawing our heart to look up to him and lay hold of him in the midst of what even our kids are facing. And on their behalf this morning, we cry out for them that God will lead them and God will get them to the other side. Amen. 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 Will you stand with me and let's pray this morning? If this is you and you need to receive from the Lord, please just put your hands out before God and let's just pray that in his presence that he will release to you what you need right now. And if it's you as a parent and you need the Lord to give you that encouragement, that he would release rivers of refreshing. Just put your hands out before the Lord. We're in his presence this morning. And as we're in his presence, everything is possible. The impossible is possible. Father, we just pray right now in Jesus' name as a family. God, first I pray for anybody that's in the midst of the storm right now, a difficulty, a trial, or maybe they're just facing loss. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to navigate through everything. And I just pray that you would equip your people I pray for prophetic words. I pray for words from the Bible, scriptures that would just come alive right here and right now. Lord, I just pray that the Bible would come alive in the midst of the storm. Let it come alive. Promises to be the anchor of our soul. And we receive all that you have for us in Jesus' mighty name. And I also pray for every parent right now that has a child that's in the boat that's facing the storm. I just pray as they feel helpless, Lord, that we would not walk away feeling helpless today. We would walk away knowing that you are our ever-present help in time of trouble. And that means for our children too. So we pray, Lord, over our children. We pray that you would be the God of their storm and they would look up and see you and that you would surround them with a Christian witness. That they would know that Jesus is alive. And we thank you, Lord, for moving on their behalf. And I pray that you would give us hope and encouragement for our kids today and for our own lives, and that we would lay hold of you in prayer, knowing that it is not some kind of passive thing, but rather when we feel helpless, this is when we come to you. And so we thank you for your hope and your encouragement this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people said, amen. amen.